0: That story that Meredith just shared with us comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to, him, said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. Lazarus is dead to begin with. Dead as a doornail, and as Charles Dickens adds, this must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. The whole story begins with Jesus being called to the town of Bethany with the news that his friend Lazarus is ill. We pick up the story this morning when Jesus arrives when, as John says, he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. And the four days here is intentional, and it's important. According to the first century Jewish lore, after a person died, their soul hovered in the grave for three days, hoping to re-enter the body. But after the third day, the belief is that the soul sees that the color of its face has changed and gives up and leaves the body for good. All that is to simply say that after four days, Lazarus is dead. He's not sleeping, not buried alive, not comatose or catatonic or unconscious, dead. Come and see, someone says to Jesus. Come and see the body so it will be real for you, so you can accept what has happened. This week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I found a site online that had pages and pages of artwork depicting this very scene from John 11. The earliest of the pieces of art were painted on the walls of the catacombs. The most recent are from the last decade, Rembrandt, Van Gogh, Caravaggio, from the Netherlands and Spain and Italy and Africa, hundreds of renderings of this scene. And of the dozens that I looked at, many of them shared one thing in common. In about half of these paintings, there's one character, usually someone standing off to the side and looking away with a rag over his or her face because of the smell. Lord, Martha says, already there will be a stench because he has been dead four days. Or as the King James Version so eloquently puts it, and I'm not making this up, Sir, he stinketh. (laughs) Lazarus is dead. I heard a pastor I once worked with start a funeral sermon with those same words. John, or Mary, or Bill, or Edna, or whoever it was, is dead. I was startled when I heard it, but... As I settled from the shock, I oddly began to feel a sense of comfort. There's something to be said for affirming the reality of death, the death of a person we love, but also our own deaths. There's something to be said for acknowledging that this life will not go on forever, and that one day our existence on this planet will come to an end, and we do not know what day that will be. For years, William Sloan Coffin was the chaplain at Yale University and later the pastor at Riverside Church in New York City. And I learned this week that you may know him better as Reverend Scott Sloan, whom Gary Trudeau immortalized in the Doonesbury cartoon. Anyway, in his memoir, Reverend Sloan Coffin contemplates the end of life. Without death, he says... We, we'd never live. Consider the alternative, life without death. Life without death would be interminable, literally and figuratively. We'd take days just to get out of bed, weeks to decide what's next. Students would never graduate. Committee meetings would never, go, would never end. Without death, Coffin suggests, chances are we'd be bored. So death cannot be the enemy, he concludes, if it's death that brings us to life. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that same thing until I was diagnosed with cancer or MS or heart disease or whatever it was, until I knew I was dying. I didn't really know how to live. Now I appreciate my life. I celebrate every single day. Lazarus come out. Jesus calls and the dead man comes out. Some translations try to smooth this over. They say to, they they refer to Lazarus as the man who had been dead, as if maybe he wasn't all the way dead or completely dead or something. But the New Revised Standard Version, the version I just read and the version that I read every Sunday from this pulpit, the NRSV gets it right. And the Greek text is very clear on this. The dead man, ho tithokinos, the dead man came out. This is literally a dead man walking. Unbind him and let him go, Jesus commands. And then we hear very little about Lazarus ever again. So I look at this story and I wonder, unbind him and let him go? go where? Where did Lazarus go? What did he do? What did the rest of his life look like? Several years ago, Reggie Jackson, the Hall of Fame baseball player, was driving in Florida when he was rear-ended and his car flipped several times. He emerged with only a few scratches and bruises and said, I just learned how good it is to be alive. Death does that. It teaches us how very good it is to be alive. It teaches us the value of each new day. It teaches us gratitude every morning. It teaches us not to be wasteful, to make every day count, because every single day is a gift we did nothing to earn or deserve. The poet Jane Kenyon wrote a beautiful poem called Otherwise that beautifully makes this point. She writes, I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birchwood. All morning I did the work that I love. At noon I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the wall and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. Unbind him and let him go. Lazarus knew it might have been otherwise. Until I knew I was dying, I never really knew how to live. And today, for us, in the midst of fear and uncertainty with the economy and the war in Ukraine, wandering through a pandemic-turned-endemic that seems like it will go on forever, we admit that we don't know what tomorrow or next week or next year will bring. We know, too, that it might be otherwise. In first-century Palestine, there were a number of beliefs concerning what happened to a person after he or she died. Some saw death merely as a separation from God. Sheol or Hades was the place where everyone, not the just or the unjust, everyone continued as a mere shadow of their former selves. Others, influenced by Plato and Greek philosophy, spoke out about the immortality of the soul. The idea that at death, the soul is released from the tomb of the body and liberated into an eternal spiritual realm. And still others, the Pharisees among them, believed that in the final days, God would resurrect those who had died, which of course is the perspective that the early Christian church adopted. Christians do not believe in the immortality of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Not just our souls or our spirits, but all of who we are is redeemed. All of who we are is resurrected to new life. A spirit-powered life that is, in some way that we can't explain, even more solid and more substantive than what we have right now. And just as many churches around the world say every Sunday, and as we're about to, as we say almost every Sunday here, and we're gonna say in a few minutes, I believe in the resurrection of the body. I feel like I need to be honest with you though. I have a hard time getting my head around that idea. Mostly, it leaves me with a whole lot of unanswered questions. Paul says that one day we'll have spiritual bodies, but that doesn't tell us much. I'm hoping that means no more high cholesterol or acid reflux or pounding headaches. But what kind of body will a spiritual body be? Will I eat? Will I drink? Will I use the restroom? What about intimacy or sleep or exercise? I believe in the resurrection of the body, but will my resurrected body be the 16-year-old version that did everything I needed it to, or the 43-year-old body that's not cooperating quite as much. The questions become overwhelming if I let myself go down that path too far. The truth is that I don't know the answer. What I do know is that if this life was good enough for Jesus if God would take on human form, if the word could become flesh and eat and drink and laugh and even weep at the graveside of a friend, then this body is good. This world is good. This life is good, and it's to be celebrated. But this life will come to an end one day, and that is the most Lenten thing we can say. Death is the one thing we know will happen to all of us, for some sooner than others. Jesus didn't come to this earth to save us from the reality of death. Jesus came to this earth to save us from the finality of death. As far as the gospel writer John is concerned, that process begins right here. When Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, Jesus Jesus might as well walk right into it himself. Because within days, he finds himself in a conflict with the powers that be that will lead straight to the cross. But, but, three days later, he'll show us another power. A power loose in the universe that's stronger than death a power that calls us out of our stinking tombs into the fullness of life. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says to Martha. Not I will be or I can be or I'm going to be. I am the resurrection and the life right here, right now, resurrection and life for anyone and everyone willing to believe that it just might be true. It's present reality. It's not a future hope. Yes, death is real, but our future is not determined by death. Our future is eternal life that begins now and extends far beyond the grave. It may not be Easter yet, but it won't be long now. The only problem is that we have to walk through the graveyard to get there. The only road to Easter morning runs straight through Good Friday. It's not a safe story, but it's a strong story with power to lead us through the graveyard and out the other side. And to that we proclaim, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
1: Oh God, we need your presence We need your compassion and grace, your comfort and renewal, your healing, your peace, your justice, joy, love, and salvation. Lord, we are reminded that all of this is embodied in your Son, Jesus, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, and that all this was freely given, that we might have abundant life, eternal life, fullness of life. We pray for those in our hearts that need your abundance. We pray for ourselves and for the ways that we get stuck in tombs of chaos and death. And so we cry out for you to call us forth, to unbind us, but to sit with us in those dark places as you did with Lazarus. In the wilderness of life, we turn to Christ for he knows our pain and our sorrow. His words heal and his hands mend our brokenness. For we know too much pain. Our bodies ache, our minds are clouded. We witness others that suffer and our hearts break. And so hear our cries, O God. Hear our cries for healing for those who know pain intimately and illness and surround them with your powerful healing. We pray for those who have died and gone before us and we remember the life of your servant Mary Adair Horde and give thanks that her baptism is now complete in death. Comfort her loved ones and remind them that you have embraced her completely Come, O Lord, come into the darkness of the tomb. Unbind us. Pour out your mercy and grace and love. Remind us that you sit with us in death, that death teaches us how precious life is. Hear now that prayer your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship God through our tithes and offerings.